to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. We're here tonight to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 3, and to do that, I am joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Greetings. And Paul. Hello, Spotlighters. My name's Liam, and as I say, we are here to discuss Disco Season 3. We travelled into the future. 130 years. A one-way trip. No going back. Order to Discovery, come in. Discovery, did you copy? You have reached year 3188. Is there life here? Anywhere? Multiple life signs detected. completely disconnected but we are also together you know from around these parts the federation mostly collapsed and after the burn what's the burn the burn was the day the galaxy took a hard left the federation isn't just about ships the federation is its people i've always believed that you were out there somewhere and that we were a part of the federation no matter what welcome to the future dysfunction aside you all make a pretty good team. Dysfunction is the team. We've just accepted it. No, we haven't. True believer. Yeah. Time traveler. There was no other way. The thing is, you got no authority here. Let's show them who we are. gave us the resources and the mandate to solve the biggest, most troublesome problems in the galaxy. And I may question, and I may fear, because the problems often seem insurmountable. But haven't we always risen to meet them? We have work to do. But if things were easy... It wouldn't be worth it. <laughs> huh? We've done episodes on all of the seasons of Discovery thus far because, of course, Star Trek Discovery was the show that relaunched Star Trek into the world of TV back in our kind of second year operating as a podcast. And mm -hmm. so really, certainly for you and me, Matt, I think this is the first ever Star Trek show where we have been watching it like season to season as it's come on. Obviously, since then, we've now had Picard and also Lower Decks, but they've only just had their first season out. So Discovery would be the first show for you and me where we've watched it as it's as it's come out yeah. each season. Absolutely, and especially in this age of social media as well, with instant reactions and takes and opinions flying around, yeah. podcasts, other shows talking about it. Yeah, I can't imagine what the discourse would have been like week to week on Enterprise back in the day. You know, it's probably just maintained, <laughs> kept in the uh, message boards back then. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, yeah cities. <laughs> Paul, you, uh, have you actually? I know that you do have some Trek fandom stored in your dark past prior to us starting the podcast. <laughs> but did you actually yes. ever watch? any of the shows before Discovery, like, week to week, like, as they came out properly? Yes. You did? Well, I, I suppose, like, yes, for Voyager I did up to I didn't have Sky, access to Sky any longer. Right. And then I, I believe I've told the story of my dad's friend telling up a trunk of Voyager tapes. Uh, yes. just, he would He was buying them, <laughs> and so I would watch them on VHS. A twofer, like, you know, at, at irregular intervals, but definitely in the right order. Very slowly, you know. I think it wasn't that long after they aired that they came out. But like, no, I did tell you I wore out the tape for one of them, which had the tease of a first contact in it. Oh, really? I w- watched it and rewatched it so many times that it actually just like the, the picture was breaking up. I only watched like seven times, maybe, uh, and it was already like deteriorating. Like that's VHS for you, though. <laughs> wow, wow! The teaser for first contact. What was the teaser for first contact like? Imagine a race of beings possessed of one mind, driven by one will, intent on one purpose, to seize our past and control our future. Set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. Now, one captain against orders. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Must succeed where all others have failed. It looks like the control deck's 26 up to 11. They have assimilated more than half the ship. Surrender yourself or we will destroy your ship. The line must be drawn here. On November 22nd, resistance is futile. Star Trek First Contact. So, Matt, <laughs> how have you enjoyed the experience of actually getting to see a Star Trek show evolve over time as it's on and kind of, you know, basically be able to follow the story and the crew and get to know those characters alongside everyone else rather than playing catch up like we usually are? Yeah, it's been fun. It's been interesting. It's obviously interesting to see a Star Trek show mostly for the first time tell essentially one big story and kind of lean into that modern TV sensibility a bit more of telling one long story over over seasons. But it's, you know, it's a show that seems to maintain a lot of the issues we always bring up and at the same time always ends with a, a promise of something new. So it is that thing of, you know, we always joke of the first few seasons of any Star Trek show being the rough ones. And here it feels like it does genuinely reinvent itself each season in an interesting way and I'm always no matter how good or bad I found the season I'm always intrigued as to see where it's going next and it does kind of as we'll get on to you know always they always seem to end in this way of like here's some the big stirring music as we shoot off into space like again and every end of every season always feels like now it's Star Trek now it's Star Trek and it kind of negates a bit of what you've experienced but like in the actual you know viewing of these new episodes uh, every season it's always quite fun and like any like any show like this i think i think it has its ups and downs and certain things i'd prefer it do differently um but coming completely out of the kind of normal trek fandom it does mean i kind of can just look at it as a sci-fi show and i have vague ideas now through doing the show the podcast of course of like what a star trek show used to be what it can be what it could be and getting either frustrated at certain things or not caring and just leaning into what they're doing so it has been interesting and like yeah i will definitely try and 
get through season four as it comes out again because I do I do enjoy watching them weekly. Like I, I'm all for the weekly drops of shows, especially now of WandaVision and all the Disney Plus shows doing it, bringing it bringing it back, which is something I didn't think we'd see again. Um, I think if something like Star Trek Discovery was like a whole season binge drop, it would be much more of a slog. And I don't mean that in like a bad way. I think it would just become more of a homogenous kind of one big thing. So I think... Well, I think, I think that, yeah. Yeah. It values it more, doesn't it? Sort of like, yeah. it, it values like the anticipation of like, you know, what they've created. Like you want people to want to come, you know, want to come back for the next one mm-hmm. and sort of talk about that. And and I think it really does help more, helps engage the fandom in the discussion. Yeah. But I think like, they definitely do have, as much as I say, you know, it's, it's all one big thing still. I think they do lean into episodic stories in Discovery a lot more than other modern shows. So I think they I think they hit a pretty good balance mostly. It's kind of like individual adventures within the bigger story, which is something that is cool. Yeah, it's certainly not one of the uh, kind of shows where you just feel like at the end of an episode they it just gets cut off and then it's on to the next kind of hour and it is literally just a 13-hour film. Mm-hmm. They do feel like structured individual episodes i think with discovery it only comes across as more of a gigantic arc show in comparison with older star trek shows just because because like you say in comparison with actually a lot of modern binge tv it is a lot more episodic uh than that but in comparison to something like star trek voyager or Star Trek Next Generation, it feels a lot more overarching, mm-hmm. arc-heavy. I feel um, they're good at setting up like individual missions to do with the big picture. So it's like, we know what the big yes. story is or it's going to be. And in this episode, it's like, okay, we have to go here and do a thing. And then that's covered in that one episode and then things change up again. But it's all part of the bigger yeah. thing, but it is broken down quite well. Yeah, you're right. They do a lot of that in this season in the sense of, you know, we've got to locate the black box to find out what happened with the burn or something like that. This is our only chance. And now we'll go on an individual mission to do with that in this one. And then kind of all book Mm -hmm. comes back and goes like, Oh, can I have your help with this? Going like, you know, and they go off on something together. So let's get into this a bit. The first two episodes of season three are very much this kind of duology, aren't they? In terms of the first episode is completely Michael Burnham centric where, you know, we, we pick up with her as she's kind of flung into the future after the events of the last season. And it, she's basically... Absolutely needed the recap. Yes, like, yeah, on that one. same, same, same. <laughs> I was um, like, what the hell is the control? <laughs> <laughs> and so she is essentially completely alone as she kind of crash lands on this planet. And, you know, we get that moment that was in all the trailers where she basically has to check for life signs and it's not only kind of to see, did they succeed? Is there still life in the universe? Uh, and also, is she alone in this universe or not, I suppose? And obviously, life signs are detected. And she has that fantastic, uh, exultant scream where she's like, yes! Like, yeah, she's so happy from that. And I, immediately with that, I've got to say, I do think Sonequa Martin-Green is, is fantastic in this role. And she, mm-hmm. she gives such... A kind of just powerful and emphatic emotional performance like all the time. You can really hit those kind of high notes of emotion. And I think one of the joys of this show has seen 
Michael Burnham become more and more of a human character after starting out as being quite, you know, Vulcan-like um, in her demeanour after being raised by kind of Spock's father and everything like that. Uh, yeah, and she's great. And we, we kind of get this impression that she's now alone. And certainly for that first whole episode, she's on her own and she meets Book, played by David Ajala, uh, who, of course, Paul, you and me know from Stardust, the great uh, low-budget British prison movie. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, where he plays one a of the star-making performance. Yeah, he's brilliant. He plays one of the one of the guys in the therapy group that Rupert Friend runs, where everyone is always yeah, kicking off which at is each other. Absolutely, the highlight of that film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Completely. It's absolutely incredible. Carnage. So I was I was happy to see him turn up, and immediately. Him and Michael had quite a lot of chemistry, and obviously that builds into kind of a romance between them. What did you What did you make of the of the romance between Michael and Book and their their whole relationship? I really liked it. I think it was something that absolutely felt like Michael had found somebody who really they really clicked with. You know, with um, the previous ones of Ash Tyler, there was it was just played for drama. I think there wasn't necessarily like an obvious attraction that I would, yeah, as a viewer, was buying into as much as these guys. Because you know, the fact is, she's had a year like with this guy, and we kind of don't really see it on screen. And uh, but they really sell they've had a year of adventures in between, which probably will form the some cartoon show or a, uh, a comic book series of I'm sure because like, there could be no untold stories in Star Trek. Clearly, it's going to be prequelized to the nth degree. So. Well, um, I tell you what it, they call we'll, it. We'll get to see that eventually. The Book of Burnham. Yeah. Book of Burnham. <laughs> Mr. <Burnham>. Uh, <laughs> <Mister> Booker. <laughs> I love that like Saru never calls him Book. Uh, and maybe until near the end. Uh, I can't recall if he does it all, but it was Mr. Booker. And uh, yeah, what I thought with the opening episode, the one you get introduced, I really enjoyed their sort of uh, dynamic. But it's for me, I was expecting this series based on just the teaser poster alone to take place on this planet like the whole thing <laughs> and I, yeah, because I, I didn't read anything about it going to it so i was expecting oh will they be like fully stranded three. on there yeah like i was expecting like literally having to rebuild everything from scratch turn it into like a federation outpost that's why the flag's there i was expecting like proper you know in the elements in this sort of harsh environment we're going to introduce a little bit of civilization here yeah that's a, cool idea. a nice comment on that but like you know it was a lawless world we're being introduced to and i thought there was it was so well realized that uh, trade terminal that like Booker is using for his like you know career work. It was it was terrific. It felt really outside of like uh, the usual, and it's probably where Star Wars Galaxy is going to lead into you know a bit with the that's what it's doing right now, isn't it? With Mandalorian, kind of like the uh, the dark underworld of that universe, away from like rebels and Imperials who just sort of in the background. And uh, yeah, I was really excited, but then it, they just left. <laughs> I guess it would have been far too expensive to film in Iceland for the whole show. But what, what we did get of it, I enjoyed. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Paul, because I kind of think this leads me into something. This kind of goes right right from the beginning, really, because that, that first episode, as I say, Burnham is on her own. You don't see any of the other Discovery crew. And at the end of the episode, she is united with Adita Sahil, played by Adil Hussain, um, who's basically a Federation liaison who seems to be on his own on some kind of, you know, outpost somewhere. And she kind of finds him... For his hologram. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they sort of, along with her and Book, is this idea of kind of, you know, restarting the Federation and Starfleet and everything. Because, you know, obviously Book reveals to her that an event called The Burn... What's The Burn? 
What's the burn? How can you not know this stuff? Seriously, where are you from? I don't want to know. The burn was the day the galaxy took a hard left. Dilithium. One day, most of it just went boom. Dilithium is the heart of every work-capable ship. What does that mean? Did it destabilize? How? I don't know. A lot of people died. The Federation couldn't say for sure what happened or why, or that it wouldn't happen again. I think they tried to hang on, but after a while, they just weren't around anymore. That's not possible. Okay. When? 100, 120 years ago, before I was born. Federation isn't just about ships and warp drive. It's about a vision and all those who believe in that vision. That's nice. Do yourself a favor and take off that badge before we get to Requiem. Star Trek Discovery has always felt like a show in search of its own identity in many ways and constantly revamping itself and with this season I went watching this episode so this is the show that Discovery is going to be it's going to be the show that we always wanted it to be which was discovering the Star Trek universe's future and going further into the future than we have ever been before you know they're absolutely further than we've ever seen explored certainly when we got to the second episode which essentially plays out events through the eyes of the rest of the Discovery crew. And you have the Discovery uh, kind of crash landing on this planet, and then there's kind of all this weird parasitic ice kind of taking over the ship, and it feels really dangerous. And we get this kind of little uh, mini crew of Saru and Giorgio going out uh, to basically find some uh, dilithium and stuff like that to basically be able to get off this planet. And when they're doing that, they run into a guy called Zara, uh, played by Jake Weber, and his men, who are these kind of like bandits, essentially. And they're kind of, you know, pressing this part of the planet and all these poor miners and everything like that, and stealing dilithium and all that kind of stuff. And that whole scene... Yeah, it's Wild West Saloon, isn't yeah, it? Completely, yeah, completely, completely. And that whole scene in the bar where they turn up and Jake Weber's performance and stuff what it immediately started making me think of was The Walking Dead. That thing of when you get to that post-apocalyptic part of a story, the most dangerous thing is always humanity. You must be our friends from the USS Discovery. Hello, Cal. How's the family? There was no trace of your vessel in our databases. We are an older model. Aren't we all? They've been in contact with other Federation ships who know where they are. They've been adrift for a long time. Cal, this is more than I've heard you speak since I've known you. 
Our visitors must be having a careless effect. Must have been very disorienting for you, being adrift. I'm good. Good. We did, however, register a freaky signature right before you got here. High energy gamma rays and gravitational waves. Do you know how those show up? Why those show up? I bet you do. You look so smart. Say it. Our mission is not of your concern. OK. Get him a drink. Put it in a flask. We can drink as we walk. Where are you taking them? Really, Cal, now you need to shut the hell up. They're taking me to their ship. Uh, no. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. There's no implied choice. So in my head, I think Starfleet is gone. There are no more starships. The Federation is gone. And what we're going to get is essentially a mix of getting back to the classic core values of Star Trek, which is about exploration. So going back to those shows like TNG, like Voyager, like the original series, with Discovery exploring uh, now all this uncharted space in the future, and a mix of a far, far darker kind of DS9-style show, where they are actually coming up against a far more darker elements of humanity than they've ever had before. And now they're out there alone and they're not protected by Starfleet. They're not protected by Federation. And I thought, wow, this could be such an interesting mix of those kind of Star Trek shows that we've seen before, but even on a bigger canvas. And yeah, yeah. then they kind of didn't do that. And similar to Paul, you know, <laughs> it's kind of having an idea of what the show was going to be. And I thought, you know, that the idea was going to be they are now going out to this darker space trying to imprint... Introduce some light. Yeah, exactly. Try yeah. to imprint the values of Starfleet, of the Federation, back onto the universe. Because the thing mm. is, yeah. those characters would do that. They're not getting paid. They would do it for the goodness of doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think there'd be space missionaries. That's what I thought they would end up being. And it was like a bit of a real comment on like missionary work. And ah, sort of, okay. uh, you know, where you'd have like these, they're trying to basically make allies. And it's like maybe make, making allies sort of like by giving people no choice. I just say like we, you know, the, the needs of like making our Starfleet bigger mm. just to survive. We need, you know, we're going to compromise on some of this stuff. So it would be like a constant battle between sort of getting people on side, but like actually strong arming them because they, but, but I think because their ship is is a thousand years old, maybe that maybe that was a bit of a, a surprise. Yeah, that yeah. should have been a surprise. That wasn't the case. That's pretty really fascinating <laughs> to hear what you guys were thinking it was going to be because this really was the season where it's like, oh yes, now they finally are somewhere new. It could be any number of things, and it's interesting to hear that, yeah. Liam. I can definitely see the great appeal of something like having a post-apocalyptic Star Trek show where you can have all the great stuff in the Star Trek world and, and canon, but kind of free from a lot of the rules before. Because you know, well, about that's it. Old fa yeah, old fans always seem to be annoyed, I think, when Starfleet does bad stuff. But if you stick them in a world where Starfleet's essentially gone, now it's a chance for what Starfleet characters remain to rebuild it in the way that we know and like. But the world they're in isn't playing by those rules, so you get to have it both ways, where it's like, okay, we're, we're chasing the Starfleet ethos and, and way again, but we're having to like comprehend this new world, new time where things have moved on a bit and it's kind of like yeah, yeah drawing stuff back to civilization and i think the hunt for 
essentially the remnants of Starfleet. Like, I think there could have been something that could have been stretched out longer, either, because they do find what is now left of Starfleet fairly quickly. Yeah, they find it at the end of episode four, don't they? Uh, um, what episode, from and episode? I do like what the, what the Federation state is in. I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, number five. five Using Senna's memories is the one yeah. where they they're back at Starfleet and everything. They might if the cliffhanger to four might be them finding it. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Like even the heart season's not even halfway done, and they're like already backed up by like. 17 other starships in a protective bubble. Yeah. I kind of wanted that to be a bit later. Well, yeah, they they kind of play, like, how has the Federation changed now? But other than some mistrust and some, you know, awkward, like, oh, your ship's so old and here's all our new tech and stuff, there wasn't much (coughs) budding of heads. Like, they got together on the same page fairly quickly. It was interesting to see the guy from The Mummy back. Yeah. Oh, dear. Love that guy. Like, who was brilliant in this? I'm so glad to see an actor I admired 20 years ago. Like, who was brilliant in that film like as was everybody in their supporting roles you know bringing it like it is middle aged take the hell of a day for a homecoming Charles Vance commander in chief Starfleet this is my chief security officer Lieutenant Willa Captain Saru USS Discovery Commander Michael Burnham first officer it is I can't say we've come across many Kelpians out here lately has there been any kind of Disturbance on Kaminar? Status quo last we checked. They're just far enough away that contact's been limited since the burn. It's pretty much the case with most Federation planets these days. Kaminar joined the Federation. Sir, the Cuyahoga is reporting Orion and Andorian vessels in the Sigma Draconis system. It's the Emerald Chain. Cyrus been becoming more brazen by the day. I want updates in real time. Yes, Admiral. Yeah, the third episode, People of Earth, I think perfectly demonstrated how the show sort of could have worked because that is the episode where they they go back to Earth and they find that Earth is no longer part of the Federation and they're seemingly getting attacked by bandits. And then very quickly, they manage to sort it all out and actually bring peace between the people on Earth and these kind of ships attacking them because actually it's essentially a a sort of misunderstanding brought about by, you know, this fear and mistrust. And by dealing with things the way Starfleet does, you know, in that kind of diplomatic uh, kind of way, and they very much bring about peace. And I thought that was a demonstration of how these guys on their own as just one ship could have brought back those Starfleet values to the universe. When we first scanned your ship, it was overcrowded. Strained beyond its means. Not a typical raider ship. Our habitats on Titan are barely livable. Titan? That was once a research colony. You split off from Earth a century ago. You're fully self-sufficient. We were. An accident at our liquid hydrocarbon research base destroyed a third of our habitats. Wiped out our tillable soil. We've no long-range communications, no way to ask for help. And we have lost too many to count. The first ship we sent for help to our home planet was fired upon and destroyed. Well, then we knew we were on our own. Earth has had to have strong defense protocols in the name of self-preservation. 
We didn't know. Now you do. Captain Ndoye, can Earth provide engineers and equipment to Titan? So an accident like that doesn't happen again? And assuming Titan's research was not lost, perhaps it could be shared with Earth in return. I'm willing to discuss terms. As am I. Once they get back to Starfleet, I was kind of like, eh, I mean, it doesn't seem that much different, really. Like, kind of just seems like, yes, I understand that they're, they're definitely smaller than they were, but it still feels, like Paul says, it still feels like they're backed up by quite a big force. Like, Starfleet's still oh, feels yeah, yeah. pretty formidable and kind of, yeah. you know... If it had been a real scrappy, or, yeah, like Paul said, like an outpost-based kind of... If the people they had found was really just hanging on by a thread, yeah. and it was Guy from the Mummy, like, leading, like, a small crew, they had one ship between them, like, give it the Battlestar treatment, where yes. it's, like, supplies are down, everything is desperate, and then they're like, how can we rebuild yeah, it, from it here? Be like, running the UN in a war zone. Yeah. Like, that was yeah, yeah. I, I would hope to be, like, you know, just sort of, like, a stressed-out leader who's, like, trying to patch up things or in a multiple things, got loads on his plate. Them turning up is almost like a uh, an inconvenience. That would have been really interesting. I mean, they are kind of doing that, but it doesn't ever feel as, you know, uh, you don't walk into chaos. It's, like, rather nice, isn't it? It's like going to the Apple store. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And this um, is a... Have a cup of tea. Yeah. We'll discuss your plans. This is an interesting thing in terms of, obviously, how... Because they're a thousand years in the future, aren't they? A yeah. thousand years in the future, they've basically, gone. yeah. And one thing that struck me, being that this is further in the future than we've ever seen in in the world of Star Trek, is when you get this far in the future, where it's like you know, kind of crazy far. I often start thinking, well, why are there still things that are even like recognizable? Like the thing that always gets me is chairs. <laughs> I'm like, why are there still <laughs> chairs? Even if they are nice... Why have we not evolved past the Futuristic-looking chairs. chairs. I think a thousand years in the future, wouldn't they be like holographic, solid chairs? Like, you know, kind of like... We've got 3D printers now, you know what I mean? I think, like, would you be able to just, like, fucking morph up a chair like out of a solid hologram or something like that at some point? Not, like, it's still... I'm like, it looks like something you could buy down Ikea. Why... Can you email the showrunners like a six page rant just about chairs? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I just think like the tech should be like unrecognizable. Like, not even. Well, yeah, the fact like, that they yeah. can be impressed by the discovery itself in any way is crazy. Because it's like somebody from the Battle of Hastings 1066 showing up like now. You'd be well, like, it's the spore no... <laughs> drive thing, isn't it? That's the, that's the clever yeah. thing they've got, that they've got this weird thing that actually isn't really to do with the time it's from, but it's yeah. this weird But even after the upgrade to the ship normally, it's like not that much different. It's like a few, you know, the nanotechy style yes. interfaces. But, and they're well, like, whoa, be but it's that not much different. Much, they can comprehend it. Because, of course, towards the end of the show, they'll get ambushed by a more... And the reason they get ambushed so easily is because the people attacking them are more technologically advanced. And I was like, well, didn't you update everything on the Discovery? There are also upgrades to your consoles. Check it out. Doesn't seem that different. Our team kept the interface similar for ease of transition, but once you engage... Whoa! What just happened? That's the retrofitted programmable matter. 
I read your bio signs. Do we really need all of this? Hell yeah, we do. We get introduced to a big new character, uh, kind of the second big new character of the season, uh, which is Adila Tao, played by Blue Del Burrio, uh, who is the first non-binary actor on Star Trek, who isn't a trill, but is playing a host to kind of other trills and everything like that, like like hmm. we've kind of seen before. So what did we make of this character? Yeah, I think Adira is a really interesting character that's been added. Of, of, of course, uh, 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 Tal as well, who does appear in sort of like uh, some sort of dream sequences, that kind of thing. It really gives uh, Stamets an opportunity to like expand his character and see a side of him we've not seen as this kind of mentor teacher it's really kind of sweet their kind of relationship holding her with the loss of somebody really close and they've experienced something very similar uh in losing their their loved one so you know it's it's a really good sort of subplot i enjoyed that that relationship it leads to the episode of course where we meet sort of the trill sort of race uh on their home planet which i, I think we've been to before in deep space nine because I, I remember i'm sure i've seen these pools before but done a lot more cheaper (laughs) (laughs) the fourth episode forget me not i think was the first episode this season that didn't really grab me particularly i think you know it felt like it was designed to show that tau was gonna be like you know a big character kind of like in the show by having that concentration on them but it also featured the disco dinner party from hell as well in that episode uh, which was uh, yeah really quite odd scene where it kind of just shows the tensions of everyone of uh, being flung into the future but they're mm. kind of all kicking off at each other which uh, I thought was all a, all a bit odd it kind of reminded me funnily enough of in Voyager where very early on in like the first season there's a bit of conflict between the different factions of the Voyager ship but it's all kind of uh, kind of swept under the rug quite quickly. Like these these kind of tensions, they don't they don't remain really over the season, do they? No, they don't. And I I really really liked that scene. Like, at times, I think it was Georgia like just sitting back and watching it and enveloping just like sticking the knife into Saru it was just funny <laughs> uh, for me. And it was it was just good to see them acting in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit more kind of a different way because I think one of my chief issues with this crew is they're very quick to cry and break down uh, <laughs> like it seems to be uh, I, I just feel like okay it is a very stressful situation but like it becomes kind of like a bit of a, a, a chore mm-hmm. to see them move to tears every episode yeah yeah totally because they, they do go through this thing where they kind of you know dredge up whatever problems they're they're going through and because it's you know this utopian society and crew who are all there for each other and they all are there for each other there are there isn't actually that much conflict between them again not dissimilar to tng i suppose but in a very different style of course but (laughs) yeah they do seem to just bring up their like uh what they're going through talk it out very kind of straightforwardly and have like a a nice moment at the end of whatever episode they're in where they kind of are fixed and carry on basically and it doesn't really quite get to the heart of of any of their problems, really. I think they're just very reactionary to what's happening and trying to pass it off as more deep-seated stuff. Because all this trauma of them having come to the future, that is interesting to even, you know, explore. And they do do a pretty good job. But I think when it gets to wrapping up these kind of issues, rather than letting them run on and affect what they do throughout the season, 
it's like the the writers just kind of go well let's just have them talk about it and then they're fine and then we can move on and then if we want to yeah. we can bring up something else they're going through later on but yeah and they all and they all are very much in the same kind of boat well, so it kind of like yeah it doesn't resolve itself in a, in a dramatic point it just no. resolves itself it's like oh we wanted to cover that because we wanted to be very open to discussing and having it out and i think that's very uh you know, in the episode with Miles O'Brien, we covered in the previous episode where he uh, does hard time and has that 20-year sentence, or is it longer, 30 years? I don't know, uh, he's prison, but he has to deal with that years, post-traumatic yeah. stress. And, like, that episode handles it better than it does here in, yeah. in 45 minutes, and this has several episodes to do it, but I feel like it just, it feels like lip service to, like, PTSD, this yeah, one, yeah. rather than an episode that sort of deals with it in a dramatic arc way. Like, yeah, because you have the opportunity for, like, the part of the ship who is clearly having a hard time of it to make some kind of like error, but she ultimately like actually saves the day. And it doesn't feel like it, it should have led to a bad thing. Oh, I agree. That she is the person who takes disappeared into nothing, didn't it? In terms of you get a real hint that something is up with her, like to the point where I was like, I, I thought because obviously yeah. she's got like kind of cybernetic kind of enhancements, hasn't she? And I was like, oh, is something going on with her? in terms of a bit like Arium in season two, the android who got sort of infected by control and kind of possessed, I thought something weird was going on with her and then it sort of just kind of peters out. Nothing really happened. She's fine. Mm. She kind of just had like a hero moment and was like, ah, I feel better about myself now. Onwards. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. she really is fine for the rest of the show. She barely even references yeah, that. Uh, Kayla Detmer is the character yes. played by Emily Coots. Coots. Yes. And yeah, I think there's a big plot hole in this series that is missing and it's how did Osira who is the, the villain of the piece get to know so much about Discovery and I think there must have been some kind of like discussion around how that was going to happen but in the end it just is accepted that she's she knows this stuff and they have oh, the inside scoop on Discovery. Oh you think that maybe originally there was, that I was, was a traitor for, for that like she was somehow tapping I think, in. I think there was a traitor. Like I, I was convinced they were going to reveal somebody and we were like, we were taking bets on who it was going to be and ultimately it was never addressed. And I think, you know, the seeds are there for something like that. Like where, you know, maybe not even on, on their own. I suppose they've already done it with Arium in the previous series mm. where you've got a, somebody of cybertronic implants yes. has been kind of like taken over by somebody so they've kind of played that card already it is funny you say that because I, I thought what you were saying and what they could have done is if they had played more on the fact of real tension but in the crew and actually because there would be they've essentially kind of all sacrificed their entire lives for michael and for the good good of the universe basically and been disconnected yeah. from their families and maybe if one of them had actually lost it and you know, turned traitor, like kind of thing, because they were like so yeah, disillusioned. Asira could have uh, had a bit where they offer the because they, you know, it's it's illegal to travel in time in this this version of this future. Like the temporal cords, because of the temporal wars, have like made it illegal. So they've committed a legal act by just going to the future. But of course, you know, look, I didn't know there was a sign there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see a sign. Um, so I think there could have been the devil's bargain where Osira offered one of the Discovery crew and said, Look, I will send you back in time if you give me what I need to know. Mm. And they, they go for it because on the original series, somebody betrays the Enterprise every week. It's usually a, a woman because they can't uh, be trusted. Uh. 
but they could have done that in this version in this universe and it would have you would have bought it because you set it up of like they are missing the hell out of their families they've had to give up everything yeah well this is the problem um, isn't it where because we know because we know so little about the supporting crew it we can't bake that in because if, if across seasons one and two we we knew some of their like family or friends or stakes of what they were leaving then when they arrive in the future rather than all of them being on the same page which is we sacrificed our lives in the past but we're kind of fine but we're kind of struggling to deal with it if we already knew one of them in particular had left something really hard that could have caused conflict where someone's like i just left like a wife and baby you had nobody you're gonna be fine and then that's yeah. the person who gets turned into being traitor we'd be like yes we get it he's trying to get back for something um well, but there's no real reason for anyone to do that here yeah exactly because the, the fact is because it's actually an advantage or it would have been an advantage in this season that there's so many characters on discovery that we know next to nothing about that they could have <laughs> kind of you know they, they they actually this is a show where they can get away with going oh uh i never told you about my entire backstory here it is i never told you about my <laughs> wife and five kids because we don't we simply don't know anything about them so it's not like it's going to conflict anything if we discover anything about you know uh bryce or detmer or any of those characters because we don't know enough well, well, we about got, them you've got philippa Giorgio on this ship i mean why didn't she do it so she sees this future and just goes well this is a bit shit isn't it like uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know i can't do anything with this you know i can't rule this um i think if there was more strife i mean i think this the main strife comes in episode two far from home where the uh, sorry discovery is crash land on a glacier and it's like yeah, they're, they're going through hell. Far From Home is probably my favourite episode of the whole season because of the, the promise it showed of what, what, what this mm. season kind of could have been. But you make them suffer a bit longer and then you've got somebody who goes, look, I just literally cannot handle yes. my, I live about my heated blanket. <laughs> I need the past now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I find it very funny that, that idea you said about they, they're all too emotional, all uh, too much crying because... Uh, they are like the antithesis of the TNG crew because, of course, the TNG crew are yeah. all tremendously cold fishes and all very aloof <laughs> and kind of like disconnected with their emotion, apart from the occasional moments where suddenly, you know, there's an episode where they do get to be yeah. a bit more They just have a character emotional. to tell them what their emotions are. Yeah, it's fine. In, in general, they're very, <laughs> they're very cold. And whereas in Discovery... Yeah, I, it's what you... I, 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 like, Troy is literally telling what the repressed feeling is the entire time. Yeah. And they're like, great, cool. And okay. it's almost like <laughs> they've gone... Because I, cause I actually really like the fact that Discovery is a more emotional Star Trek show. Because, you know, to be honest, that has often been a criticism for me that a lot of Star Trek shows do feel quite cold and detached. And with Discovery, it is very much in touch with its emotions. But it's almost like they've gone too far the other way. Yeah. <laughs> it just becomes, like, it cheapens it. Like, you, I don't mind, like, an outpouring emotion if it had been built up to and kind of, like, is earned. But it just seems like everything they get through, like, deserves absolute tears and, and, and hugs and just, like, yeah, it just is too much. Where's your stiff upper And I'm all for it, like, this would have have happened on her majesty's ship discovery i would say (laughs) well you we we mentioned uh giorgio quite a lot um obviously michelle yoa's uh character who's the mirror universe version of the original uh uss shenzu captain who we were introduced in the first ever episode of discovery and obviously one of the big things that happens in this season is kind of her departure 
and they're kind of building up to that throughout the kind of season with her starting to act oddly as well. That was a thing at one point you had uh, Detmer and the character Giorgio both acting slightly oddly and I was like what's going on here like yeah okay and um <laughs> you know I I think Michelle Yeoh is just fucking aces like you know she's so so good and it's it's funny because I actually thought when she left I was kind of like you know what I mean you you could have just had her stay behind at the end of season two there's no real reason for her to travel into the future with Michael well, yeah. and kind of like, you know, it, it would have surely made more sense in many ways for her just to be gone at the end of season two um, rather than, you know, this is, but it kind yeah, of just well, felt I, like they wanted to keep her around because she's so fucking entertaining and good value. Well, I had that, I had that same thought because we said after season two, didn't we? Oh, we all assumed Georgia would stay behind because of her section 31 yeah. stuff and Shazad would go with them, but it's the other way around. So I guess in a way, if, if we know that show is still happening, she has to get back somehow. And it does feel like leftover stuff where she was here, she didn't really do a lot, and then she started getting ill, which leads all the way to her thing. But it's great to get some focused episodes on her before she goes, but it is kind of like, oh, shit, we got to get her back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it, it builds to the big terra firma two-parter, which is kind of a diversion back into the mirror universe. Yeah. Where... The mirror universe stuff is definitely fun, but I can't help like just thinking that the crew, whenever they play their evil counterparts, it's just they're just such a bunch of nerds, like normally. They just feel like a bunch of nerds trying to be hard. And it's like, everyone, no one's really that threatening. They're just pulling, they're just gurning a lot and going very extreme. And when they're all fighting yeah. each other, it's just like, you're just a bunch of nerds. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I I dis dislike the mirror universe immensely. And I didn't know that I was going to spend 90 minutes plus in, in the mirror universe. I was just, get it, get it over with, please. <laughs> uh, because it is, it's excruciating. Mm. Like, uh, and... Yeah, like you say, I don't buy any of them doing it. No, it's just and it so is all entirely nah. separate, isn't it? Because it was uh, all it, just uh, a test. They raided the, the costume department of Judge Dredd, nineteen ninety five, and yeah, I think it was a bit of a miserable end for Giorgio, who like showed loads of promise that she could have been such an interesting thorn in their side. Just like and that's the thing, like she was meant to be the one that said, "We've got to play dirty now." This is the Wild West. Yeah, I am going to come into my own here. Like we're going to play things my way, and we're going to have to like rethink how we deal with these situations that would have been great but she just does nothing yeah get she could have mutinied been like look i'll lead us in this mm. in this you know to do what we yeah. gotta do she should be jostling for the captain's chair yes. and mm -hmm. should have been a genuine consideration of the crew because it is open for discussion who is the captain uh you know saru's sort of unsure uh even tilly like gets promoted from like ensign to like commander like, yeah, it's like no what is this i'll like, star trek yeah, adventures no playthrough progression is insane in this show <laughs> I mean, I mean how, like, let's be honest, George, Mirror Universe Giorgio would have had Captain Saru for literal breakfast at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose it's one thing she does like touch, so they're just a bit tough, actually. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she's gone vegetarian since meeting him. Uh, get to know. This is the thing, I, I do agree so with I think, you, Paul, about that. Like, that would have been amazing to see her kind of, you know, yeah, if she could have divided the ship, because that, that feels like the kind of thing she would naturally do. See the tension on the ship and be like, yeah, you know, cause yeah. a full mutiny, take over, and she'd be the one to turn to Michael when Michael's feeling betrayed and being like, yeah, I'm doing this for oh. the good of all of us, you know what I mean? Well, exactly. I like, Osira would have, like, seen somebody in, in Georgia who would have been 
that's an ally. Like, yes. you know, and she could be bringing on. That would have made sense. So terra firma, the less said about the, about the better, which takes two episodes out of the Well, run. I was, I was yeah. just um, going to say that with terra firma, actually, I, I'm going to go against the crane where with that two-parter, as much as I watched it and went, I think this diversion is almost, apart from reminding us how far Giorgio has come as a character from, like, you know, the stone-cold evil killer we met in season one, um, it's, it's almost completely pointless. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do enjoy the Mirror Universe stuff. I, I find it deliciously campy and kind of fun. It's very different from the West, the rest of Discovery, especially uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. She was having a ball in those two episodes. She is having so much fun uh, because obviously she plays kind of a very earnest character with Michael most of the time. And so I think she was really getting her teeth into kind of getting to chew the scenery and kind of have fun as this really evil version of herself. You promised us new worlds to conquer. You promised us spoils, never-ending growth. There are no spoils from peace. And, you know, I, I do like all of the... When, whenever they have some proper, like, fights going down, because I think, you know, the choreography's pretty damn good at this point, you know, when they have fights in these shows. And in comparison to Kirk with his two-handed punches back in the day, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And plus... We got I Am the Guardian of Forever, which uh, was a nice callback yeah. to classic. It, it's track. crazy. When that thing happened, I recognised it from the animated series episode it's in. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, it's the yesteryear thing. Wait a minute, I know that rock shape. But it's City on the Edge of Forever as well, right? Yes. yes yeah. It's in yeah. uh, City on the Edge of Forever. But the funny thing is, now yeah. I most recognise it from Andrew Keats doing his impression of it on our In the Pale Moonlight <laughs> episode. Because <laughs> in that, he did a really good impression of the Guardian Forever. And that's now what I always think of is Keats saying... Our question. <laughs> well, yeah, they obviously uh, piped in the original line reading, right? For when he said, yeah, I am the like Guardian of Forever. <laughs> and again, it's like those kind of like drop-ins, like for the, for the viewer has not watched the original series, just like was <laughs> you know, it is absolute fan service it also another another reason why terra firma sucks is that it doesn't have gabriel Lorca. like they mention him by name several times you're looking for jason isaac's cameo to like make it all make sense or like excite you know just to see him again would have been exciting mm-hmm. uh, but we know we don't even get to say hello to jason that Isaacs, would be so. prime world isaacs wouldn't it that's the whole thing that's where is he well that is still the question it's like where is prime isaacs and it would have been really funny if he's come across the time to sort of avenge his like alter ego they've yeah he's just ended up back. in the mirror universe is he gonna go stuck. camp go full camp the, and have like get him isaacs back. <laughs> because the and, thing is is now right. i'm just like because everyone's been like where is prime isaacs I tell you where he is. He is in the future. There, that's where he disappeared to. So he is somewhere in this future world. And at some point, we've got to see Prime Lorca turn up. It would be fucking amazing. I, I thought Jason yeah. Isaacs fucking smashed it in the first season. And I would love to see him back in the show at some point. And he seems like, I mean, I know, don't get me wrong, he's he, you know, he's a busy working actor. But he's not, you know, you would have thought that they can they can get him back. They can get Isaacs back, mm-hmm. I would have thought. Like, you know, if they give him a good yeah, enough story. Yeah, if only for a two-parter, if nothing else. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if he turns up like Riker's twin brother does occasionally on DS9, <laughs> you know, it would, it would be fun to get him back. But, of course, yeah, essentially, 
like you say, all those all those kind of ideas that we have for storylines with Georgia, I think the reason they didn't do any of that stuff is essentially she is a spare part. She is a leftover. And they just need to get to the point where they get rid of her, essentially. And, you know, presumably, mm. a, a very much... I mean, the way the speech the Guardian Forever gives about what she is going to go on to do... It's like, obviously, they've confirmed the Section 31 show is still on. But, I mean, 1,000%, when he is talking, you are like, oh, he is setting up what her spin-off. Yeah. She's going to go off. But it does seem wild, doesn't it? That It does seem wild that Giorgio is the character, as you say, they feel like they need to like get rid of. And yet you've got a crew of like seven identical people. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yeah. any one of them <laughs> could go. But you're jettisoning the other one with actual agency and character. And it's like, I yeah. get it if it's a spin-off, but... It's, it's that thing yeah. of, I mean, we obviously, we live in a time now where they are desperate to just green like more and more Star Trek shows. And the whole thing, uh, and you know, it's, it's not just Star Trek, it's, it's any any franchise, any universe kind of franchise. The same thing with the Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. They've got like, you know, 10 Star Wars shows in development or something like that. And like, you know, every opportunity, whoever turns up for one episode and fans talk about the next day on Twitter. They're like, right, they're getting their own show, like, immediately. I mean, see, I swear there's already, <laughs> like, f five, six spin-offs from The Mandalorian, like, already. And it's that thing of sometimes you're going to end up weakening the core product, because I actually think if they kept Georgia around, she is such a great firecracker to just chuck into mm. the mix all the time and just watch her blow things up a little bit, you know? I just think yeah. actually keeping yeah. her around could have been fucking cool. You're a tricky case, Philippa. You don't belong here now. But to send you somewhere else might cause just as many problems. So you had to be weighed to figure out your course. Oh, let me guess. I was found to be lacking. Now, why would you say that? I killed my daughter again. But in fairness, your hands were tied. The end was the same. But you tried. I failed. Her. The Empire. Yeah. But, you know, this time through, you tried for peace. You saved a Kelpian. And you didn't have to do that. So, episode six, The Running Man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, did anybody get Running Man vibes for this episode? This is the one where they're all kind of working in a factory and at one point the guy goes, I'll run out to oh, okay. Fence. Maybe I should be more specific. The opening 10 minutes of Running Man where, like, Schwarzenegger's, like, in oh. a futuristic prison <laughs> where they've got, like, energy field and they, they stage, like, a, an escape from it. Um, <laughs> it's, like, totally like that. And I really like this one because it gives Book a chance to sort of be back in the show. And there's lots of action. And it also, like, introduces a new villain. And, like, the, and then the Emerald Train, the sort of crime syndicate that's sort of, like, the big force, the anti-Starfleet, that's going to be pose the biggest threat to the crew. I thought this was where the, the show kicked into a gear. I'm, like, I'm liking this now. Yeah. Scavengers, for me, is, like, a mid-season standout. <gasps> it comes after, like, two episodes, uh, four and five, like five, which I didn't, I skipped over, was just like a small episode about like a health crisis, which didn't really do much for me. Yeah, I, I gotta say, speaking up for Scavengers, one of my my favorite episodes to that point is this one. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I must admit, 
Yeah, like my my favourites are very much those those first couple of episodes where I was thinking, still thinking of all the potential that lied kind of forward, um, rather than this one. I, uh, my big memory of this one is Michael getting demoted like almost instantly after getting made number one because of course Saru makes her number one. I swear, only like two episodes before this. And she instantly betrays him and kind of goes against his kind of like <laughs> orders and gets gets demoted. And this is the thing I found. Uh, I mean, I, I I love Saru. I think he's I think he's a great character, and I think Doug Jones is you know gives an absolutely excellent performance uh, as Saru. He is he is the king of playing kind of characters in prosthetics and everything like that. He, his physicality. Is just incredible, and I I love his whole demeanor and everything about him. As soon as he made Michael number one, I was like, "Well, that's a mistake." The last time she was number one, she like had a fucking mutiny on the ship, and I knew that it would be that. Oh, she's made number one, and then at some point she has to go against, or she thinks she has to go against his orders, and I just think. For me, that kind of stuff between Saru and Michael at this point feels a little bit like false conflict, really. Because we know they're friends, we know they love each other, and at this point, I'm kind of like, can you not just fucking trust each other? That like, you know, that you you both want the right thing and you both and you're and you're both clearly very good at what you do. And just get on with it. Again, it's another excuse to have a sort of tearful kind of breakup scene between them and stuff. To inject a bit of quick, like shortcutted drama, it's kind of make you know make a character this rank and then have them immediately have to do something that goes against orders. And it's a lot of a lot of tension between like orders, rank, what's right, what needs doing, time limits, and a lot of that works quite well. But yeah, it, when it kind of breaks down this quickly, it's a bit funny. And it's just another case of yeah. who gives a fuck about this stuff anymore a thousand years into the future. I just don't think that all the stuff about Starfleet Protocol and everything and, you know, all that kind of stuff, I'm just like, oh, Yes, so, like you're on the ropes. Yeah, exactly. It's so boring. It's like, why are you concentrating so much on Starfleet bureaucracy? when you're meant to be, like, in a really hopeless position. Like, why are these things still that important? You know what I mean? But I, I was going to say, yeah, Unification 3. Because th this episode, like I said, I actually went back and watched the Unification 2-parter from Next Generation Season 5, uh, which saw the return of Lennon Nimoy as Spock, as he tried to unify the Vulcans and the Romulans. And that's what this is sort of a spiritual sequel to. Uh, again, like you say, Paul, this is a classic case of this only meaning something to the fans. Yeah. In terms of, yes. yeah. I mean, I suppose only fans would even know. Well, I think it's the title. The episode itself makes sense. Yes. Everybody knows Spock. Like, it's yeah. like. Yeah. 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 yeah, we know uh, Michael's connection to Spock from last season. So that, that tracks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just literally the title, I think, is thing. And they didn't do a, like, a goofy little, like, previously on Star Trek, The Next Generation. Like uh, they did in season <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like season two, which was, like, such an odd thing to happen. But. Yeah, this one's fine. Like, again, it's sort of like, it, you know, to hear that the Vulcans and Romans have come together, it's interesting because, like, we've all we've had up to recently is, like, the JJ-verse, where there's no Vulcan at all. It's been blown up. So the fact that this prime version 
as like you know Vulcan in existence and it's not Vulcans and Romans in it is a, is a good bit of like a uh, universe building which I not haven't had with that that's really good yeah I mean um, I I find I find this quite interesting it's, it's one of those things where essentially it's an episode of people standing around in a room talking but quite often a lot of the talk and the kind of the breakdown between the Romans and Vulcans I find quite interesting and stuff like that. Yeah, Discovery's attempt at trying to do a measure of a man or like the drumhead, isn't it? It's like trying to do a classic Star Trek courtroom drama, but it doesn't quite live beach those those heights of those, no. those great episodes, unfortunately. And it, and it also brings in Picard as well. So it's like, if you've not seen Picard, you'll be all at sea with the nuns, the Romulan warrior nuns. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've completely forgotten them from Picard anyway, so, you know. <laughs> Who just happens to be uh, Sonja Son, uh, you know, Officer Greggs from The Wire is back. Yes. Michael's mother. It's very convenient, that bit. But, like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to have a problem with it because it's Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of like, yeah, it's all, it's all fine. It's all fine. I mean, a, a, a lot of these... A lot of the episodes in the middle for me, and I think maybe that's why I enjoyed the Mirror Universe two-parter so much, is the the episodes in the middle of the season are, are all much of a muchness for me, really. I mean, especially like the Sanctuary, the one with Book's brother just before Terraforma. I mean, I, I literally was like, when I was looking back through the episode guys today, I was like, Book had a brother? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can remember, like, yeah. I mean, that's an example of one of my issues with this season is you introduce two new big characters in this in terms of Book um, and Tao. And for me, I get slightly frustrated with the show in the sense of why are you introducing these new big characters and giving them meaty kind of storylines when you still have a massive bunch of crew members who we barely know still and you could spend time building them up do you oh, think you only get to know them the episode before they die yes <laughs> yeah. yeah you know they're in trouble well do you think at yeah, this point if... they've realized oh shit we've made the bed with these guys now so any new characters will be the big new guest stars for each season and we can break away from people who are just going to be trapped in crew positions anyway it's like you know some someone's got to man the comm so <laughs> The Sanctuary, like, in its defence, I didn't like the stuff down on the planet, but what it did introduce was, was my favourite thing about this uh, season, which was Asira, and, like, she's one of the most, compe- for me, the most compelling villain since, like, Star Trek VI. Like, wow. That far mm, back. Like, with the late Christian Plummer. Like, uh, I suppose we could throw the Borg Queen in there as well, but, like, uh, for me, she had a thing that the, the other villains in this series have been lacking, it just had a real interesting backstory in terms of coming from like a, a race of slaves and then she, now she's in charge like comes from that and just like what that would do to somebody to sort of like now be on top and then the then the fantastic sort of fact that she has peace in as her end goal and then wants to broker that she was great and she has such presence and like uh you know when she's kind of like holding these like planets to hostage she won't stop at anything the terrific performance by janet kidder who's uh related to margot kidder who is Lois Lane Superman. Oh, what well, is I did think she looked similar, actually. It, is she daughter or...? She's niece. Oh, OK. So, uh, they, I've got to say, Sanctuary, like, gets props for, like... Well, it, she was introduced earlier on where she, like, feeds a uh, distant relative to, like, a, a worm uh, <laughs> to sort of, like, set her up. But this is when you get to see her sort of playing poker with Discovery and sort of, like, as a, a genuine threat. Well, it's been a while since we've seen a Starfleet vessel. Are you lost? I am Captain Saru of the USS Discovery. 
We are an observational presence here at the request of the citizens of Quajan. I see. But I'm afraid you can't operate under the observational umbrella while you're harboring a wanted criminal named Rin. Wanted by whom? To our knowledge, no entity recognized by the Federation desires Mr. Rin's capture. Recognized by the Federation? Hmm. Out here, we don't bend to that kind of hubris. Prepare to transport him to my vessel. What we're building up to here is the big, you know, not not officially a free part, but it is a free part finale. Like I, I watched them in a triple bill. Uh, it's all completely yeah. linked. The finale is stupidly linked to Batch the pilot of, uh, this, oh, yeah, of the series. Oh, yeah, I don't like, get uh, that at all. Who part two. Uh, and that is a thing. What? It's like, no, it's part three of three. It's like going <laughs> back from Sukkot. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a weird thing. That's not just this season discovery that's done that that i've noticed that as a growing trend of doing episodes where they go oh this is part two of that episode from earlier on in the season where i'm just like what it doesn't make any fucking sense like you say well no you should just be able to watch the first one of the last one then yeah, really, yeah, uh, yeah the that's all you uh, need it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make like any, to try that. any narrative sense supercut of this season <laughs> Like you say, it's very much Sukau, There is a Tide, and That Hope Is You Part 2 are very much a free part because in Sukau, obviously you get Saru, Burnham, and Colbert go down onto this planet, and that's where they find themselves in the middle of a simulation. They all kind of end up looking like different species. So we actually get Saru suddenly becoming human, so we get real Doug Jones for the last couple of episodes. Yeah, that was great I think to the see. whole thing was a concept just to get Joe Jones out of makeup for one episode yeah, like, only, please, wasn't it? Or, give me three. Well, it turned out three <laughs> episodes only, but it was uh, a bit bizarre. Like, the fact that a Kelpian would have their Kel only Kelpian, like, contact turn into a human just to mess with them. It was kind of a bit of a stretch, but, like, it was mm. good to see him out of makeup. Yeah, well, sure. I remember you guys speculating, because, of course, these are the episodes where we find out what happened with the burn. I remember you, Liam, I think, speculating that, oh, is michael burnham gonna be somewhere responsible for the burn burnham through some time travel shenanigans and it's all gonna be linked back to them like what was their act of coming into the future what caused it but what we get here is actually obviously something fairly different don't we fairly uh i mean they don't do they set this up at all the sakal stuff and this whole planet and everything or is it just kind of like the the end of the road for their investigation of what it was it's, it's the end of the road really yeah uh, yeah I mean, I've got to be honest, I had slightly, by the time they got to Sukau, I had slightly lost the thread on the investigation into the black box and everything like that kind of stuff. And I think it didn't actually help that they essentially had Terra Firma two-parter just before this, because that was such a complete diversion away from the main story that by the yeah. time we got back to you kind of what where are they going why why are they going to this planet like you know I, I was a little bit lost and especially as i wasn't the whole thing with the burn and everything like that i don't i don't really think it's it's secrets amounted to much in the end actually really the burn because Starfleet wasn't wiped out or anything like that it didn't it just didn't really add up to much in the end i i didn't think yeah, it kind of just basically the status quo is like being just a little bit shifted, like but their Starfleet does has endured. Yes, you know you don't get a mention of the Klingons, but Romulans and Vulcans are still around. Everybody just sort of you know basically gone COVID with it. They've drawn up the drawbridge <laughs> and like closed their borders. They're they can't go and visit each other very often. So like it's like the time before space travel, isn't it? Really? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that it's not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. 
So the good parts of this episode, I think, are the, the final sort of 10 minutes. The crew are split, got the captain down on the planet on a time lock because they're going to die if they are exposed to too much radiation. Mm-hmm. Stuck in a simulation, which is, you know, really well rendered and designed. It does remind me of a, a level, a playable level on like a, a first-person shooter. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, time splitters I, or something. I, I'm going to date myself and say Unreal Tournament, but yes. I'm sure like Matt, you, <laughs> you're probably going to say something different. Uh, <laughs> It's not a bad sort of setup. Like, I like the stuff down on the planet. And the child Sukal, like, it's interesting because you have a very kind of scary representation of the computers, like, trying to tell it, teach it, without the absence of parents, like, about overcoming your fears and it's being haunted by this uh, wraith-like entity, which is really, like, quite compellingly visualised in this as well. So there's plenty of skates on the on the, uh, on the planet. And then you have you know, Osiris coming back, has mashed it, taking over the ship. Before that even happens, you've got her and bantering with Tilly, which is really, really good because... Azara, again, as a villain, comes across so well because she's completely tapping into all of her insecurities. She's kind of reading the Tilly so well and pushing her buttons as well. And, and Tilly's doing her best to like fend them off, but she's like dishing out some real tea, <laughs> as they will say. What is her? Found you. We found each other. You do realize that I have bigger torpedoes. And an even bigger ego. But don't forget, last time we ran you off with just our itty-bitty little scout ship. What your ship exploited was a structural anomaly, and I assure you, it's been fixed. Well, we can fire on each other all day if that's your thing, but in the end, I will self-destruct Discovery before I let you have her spore drive. Just to be clear. You know, I've been asking myself, why are you not just jumping away? What is it that you're protecting out there in the nebula? Or who? I wonder. Is your captain out there? That last ten so, minutes yeah, I... of the uh, of the Sukal episode, like you say, is that's really exciting stuff. When Asara and the Emerald Chain come down on Discovery, and you really do feel at that point, and this is what I mean in terms of like, I wish they didn't hadn't even bothered with any of that updating of the tech or anything like that, because. What you feel is very much is Discovery is completely out of its depth. There's that thing where it's almost like tentacles are coming out onto Discovery. And it feels really scary. It feels like they're so out of their depth. and they're A bit enclamped. Yeah, in yeah. Space. Their opponents are so technologically advanced. And they just literally suddenly they're just on the fucking ship. And they're just taking over. And they kind of feel a bit unstoppable at that point. And that is a really scary cliffhanger. Well, yeah, when they grab Stamets and stop him yes. from jumping, because Tilly's just like, jump, jump, and then, you know, it's too late. That's that's good, because that's, that's always been an interesting thing, having the spore drive be so linked to one character, because it does mean you can, you know, set up these scenarios where either Stamets yeah. is incapacitated or they're going to use him for their own means, and it's quite a, an easy way for us to follow how they can keep control of the ship and of the power and everything. Well, how did they find out all that stuff out? That's, the, that's my question. It's like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's the, good. He is the car key. It's not explained like how they know he's the car key. If you take him out, like you can't get the thing started. But, like... <laughs> well, of course, um, in the penultimate episode, there is a tide. I, I don't know whether I am just absolutely determined for Starfleet to be destroyed, but when Osira used <laughs> the Discovery as essentially a Trojan horse to get into Starfleet to destroy it, and which I, I've got to say, that was a really tense scene. That was a really intense scene. I would say that was cinema level action. Yes. That uh, Two Takes Frakes dishes out in the opening teaser of this episode is immense. It felt 
right up there with like the car kind of space dive in into darkness mm. that kind of yeah, like yeah. level of like excitement and it just or even probably even better than that because it just well, had yeah, the crash landing a, in the discovery opening, yeah. yeah yeah and um, i really wanted to destroy the heroes <laughs> destroy the... yeah 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 because i thought oh at last it maybe this is the thing starfleet is going to get wiped out and then they are going to be on their own and that would all raise the stakes so high as well within the final episode <laughs> but no instead Osira kind of sits down for coffee with the bloke from the mummy and they kind of hash it out instead <laughs> but I, I love that I think that was such a great Star Trek twist that actually there's depth to this character and they you know they want to move beyond this like because you know they know it's not going to last forever like it's uh, you know with, with the Federation growing so there's a chance to kind of like you know sort of get yourself a clean bill of health in terms of your criminal record interesting like it could have been the, the federation staff were like refusing to sort of like you know compromise and, and you know insist she's as trial for her crimes i mean she could have had another card up her sleeve there i think this episode you know, had great moments obviously the openings are absolutely insanely good and then uh, but then it introduces like a new character which I, i'm pretty sure we hadn't seen the, the scientist aurelio who is sort of like trying to interrogate stats but he's just so pathetic like and weak that you know there's no question that he's going to sort of be too you know turned or the weak link in osiris plan you wanted the torturer from true lies in this, <laughs> in this role well it, yeah. he's the character i think who's meant to make us believe that osiris could actually be good because he seems like you say he doesn't seem like an evil character at all he seems like actually a reasonably good person who's it's just because he's ended up on the bad side because basically he's been saved by Osira and her kind of crew and now he's loyal to them because of that and you were kind of like oh well if you know she's got this guy on her crew maybe she's not so bad after all but actually you know she soon shows her true yeah. colors when you know it's a, as soon as they say oh, well, we'll just put you on child. She's like, no, no, no. And you realise, actually, all this kind of stuff, she has a sort of veil of acting as if she she's kind of acting for the greater good. But actually, she is out for herself. Well, I do think it was, like, a bit of an ask, actually. I was like, come on, you can, like... The pardon's been issued for less. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he said that, I was like... Uh, do you think I mean she's kind of got the advantage is it really a good idea to kind of go like oh well only if we yeah. can throw you in jail like you know, she's probably yeah. not going to agree to that uh, we have the death body and we will pursue that option like, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it, it very much builds up to like an all out action based finale doesn't it like the the, the finale yeah is all about setting it in a place where you can have lots and lots of action and fights and kind of all, all... It's discovery hard. Yes, yeah, very much so. And Yeah, running and gunning down the corridors. Uh, and this is what we were talking about earlier because I don't know about you guys, but I 100% believe that uh, Johan or Shen, one of the crew members, was going to die when she, in a heroic sacrifice kind of moment. Oh, yeah, that was an entirely sacrificial move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, why she, why she was yeah. it she wasn't affected? Did she just have the last hit on the uh, on the air? No, uh, she, uh, the, the, the robot saved her. Ah, oh, I missed her. Yeah, so <laughs> it goes very, battery's not included. Now, I thought, like, where it was, le- where it coming from, where these, so this is another thing that's happening just sort of in the background, like, story D of the series, 
was that the uh, sentient like computer is sort of like merging with the uh, the discovery sort of computer drive and it's like sort of becoming like putting on movie nights and just generally being cute and sort of like helping them out here and there and everywhere but then you have your main man Matt, Buster Keaton turning up yeah I mean it was so strange to see Buster Keaton in space but it's good that he's canon in this world as well yeah, I like when he when his little eyes appear in the in the, the monitor. I was like, "This is amazing." It would have been so good be... if 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 the robots that hold hosts to control whatever it is use just, just use clips of Buster Keaton's face on little screens to like well, project who like it was. It was basically looking to be like a a good, really cool kind of skit where like it would have been stunts like or pratfalls that like with this kind of like thing trying to take, you know, a physical form. Mm-hmm. So the computer would maybe taken over certain things, cobbled together. And it was just like the Free Stooges, so like they're trying to take out the guards, but they're doing it like in a really kind of like ham-fisted way. But it would have been quite an awesome thing. But in the end, we, we get is like a combination of batteries not included and Wally. Um, <laughs> yes. Have we ever were, seen and, these before? We haven't, right? They're not. No. Just, they well, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're just like robots that go around sweeping up and yeah. All of a sudden, stuff. it's just like, hello, we're here to help, and there's loads of us. Yeah, and they have yeah, they've been taken over by the computer, so mm-hmm. they're not like, you know, they're not just sort of mindless automatons. They're like got little personalities and it just goes really sort of like cute uh didn't work for me that bit well it was strange because uh, yeah cause all it... this all this action was really intense and they started to lose it a bit uh geographically like when burnham and book are kind of you know flying on the great glass elevator i was like are they still on discovery because th- this place is huge yeah. is, is this just the inner workings well, of the lift <laughs> i was just like when did this ship become monsters inc yeah <laughs> yeah it's very much yeah swinging on the open yeah. door yeah and... i was getting confused yeah. I was like, are it's they on like discovery that... are they on the so other ship weird. are they in the starfleet base <laughs> like, you know. well yeah they're in they're in discovery and there's no like sense of scale there no. at all it was, like, it that, was like, like a city these... it was like a cityscape and i was like is this, is this all just empty this space ship. in between the ship like what is this well because we've seen the size of the shuttle bay we crashed into it at the end of the episode like, yeah. beginning of the last episode so we kind of got the sense like we know how big that is but this is vast and makes no sense. Yeah, I genuinely thought I, I missed a bit, and they were on in Federation headquarters somewhere, flying through stuff. Yeah, and then I think they, I they get so. knocked out of warp and stuff, and everyone reacts. Well, that, and... that would have been great, and have the data core of like Discovery had been removed mm. because it was so mm. valuable to be in the in the Federation vault, for example. And that yeah, it's just quite this a cool big like thing race to the vault heist. But instead, you've just broken the suspension of disbelief i had about what discovery is and how big it is it was really annoying. yeah it was, it was a weird choice uh, and i did really like the rest of the action on the ship here especially compared to you know the change of pace down on the planet when they're trying to get through to sukal which had some interesting ideas but i think they ran out of like things we can try quite quickly until it became a case of oh it's going to have to be saru having like a sit down and a connection it was a strange direction to take i guess into having this character essentially be locked up in the hologram world to stop him being scared but he's connected to the to the planet through genetics and his little outbursts is what caused the burn like it was a i mean i couldn't have predicted it so that's something <laughs> <laughs> yeah it feels very original series kind of like you know where you've got the, the little alien is posing as the big alien yeah that kind of stuff it feels like much in the vein of those kind of traditional kind of like twists uh, that you get in a 45 minute episode not in like a 13 episode arc yeah, so I think that's the climax of the whole low, story as well a low ball we expect something much bigger than that but it's it, it is what it is it's sort of obvious from the from episode one of three that it's how they're going to get through to Sakao but then it's a bit of a drag when you actually have to go okay we got to sit down and waste count the minutes yeah, yeah. this is over oh computer show me what I saw here 
so I can't be free. The whole Sukau thing, another case of a new character being brought in that took up a big bunch of the last three episodes and I was kind of like, oh, why have we got another new character? Like, you know, just not bothered about his story. And he, I, I thought the guy uh, playing him was good. Uh, like, I, I believe he is an old acting colleague of Doug Jones who, who played uh, hmm. Sukal. And I think he was, I think he was very good in that role you know him and Saru together were great but I just was kind of like his story and, and that that idea of what was going on felt like you say felt like very much done in one original series episode not stretched out over three episodes which I think you know is the nature of this big extended kind of finale but you know yeah yeah I definitely thought along with the uh, design of the, the set of the location there as, as Paul pointed out the, uh, the effects on that sort of seaweedy monster thing was bloody great like like it didn't just come across as a big CG swirly cloud. It, uh, it looked really tangible. I wonder if it was man in suit for the most part and then embellished with CG. Whatever it was, I thought it looked really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I on a production level, I think Discovery always looks absolutely astounding. I mean, like more so, it's, it's funny because um, I don't think Picard looks as incredible as Discovery does. I mean, Discovery, like like Paul says, like often, I'm like, you could shove this on like the big screen right now. It looks so so big in scope and hugely cinematic. It totally looks of a piece with the JJ movies it, on a production visual level. Yeah, I agree. So let's come down to the final confrontation: Asira versus. Michael Burnham, the uh, Discovery Computer Core, good set, and it's a well choreographed fight. And I just feel like they have a real knack of dispatching the Chief Villains of the series in a very underwhelming fashion. So I kill you by pushing you into pulsating computer chips. What uh, was that thing about getting pushed into? I was like, <laughs> this will get you. I was like, what? Why is she yeah. pushing oh, her into oh, the yeah, wall? Oh, that's how he gets killed. It. That's yeah. And then she just then she gets shot. Like it just feels like such a rote way to go for like somebody who's like as, as compelling as Asira for me. I was like. Team Asira all the way through, so I wanted, I wanted her to survive. You were Team Asira. Liam wants the Federation to burn to the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're totally wanting the the darker confession. Well, because even even Book got more of a proper like kiss off line with his bad guy fight, didn't he? Because he has a big fight uh, with Zara, the the the, the bandit that we in in mm. episode two. And like he kicks it, doesn't he kick him out of the lift and say like a proper diehard style like kiss off line? Well, yeah, because he's he's insulted his cat and he's like, she's a queen. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he's the... uh, no, he should have just said going down. <laughs> 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 yeah, in a lift, there's so many better like lines you can think of. Yeah, so the the last big thing to talk about really of this season is Michael. Finally, as we've oft predicted, becoming captain. Uh, so we've had a whole season of Saru as captain. I thought he did a. I thought he did a good job. I like Saru as captain. I like. I, I just like having an alien as the main <coughs> captain. I always thought it was a bit mm -hmm. odd how it's always a human character, especially considering you know what Starfleet is meant to be. Yeah, equal opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I thought yeah. it was very cool. But then Saru just decides. 
I mean, I've got to say, I didn't really particularly think that was very in character for Saru to just completely abandon Yeah, because is he gone now? Like, fully gone? Well, no, I mean, he'll be back, won't he? I mean, I fucking hope so. He's one of the best but he wasn't on the ship at the end, on the show. So... But he, he decides to stay and kind of help Sue Carroll, like, readapt, didn't he? And we're with the Kelpians mm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but they don't have social workers for that. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically an excuse to get Michael as the captain at last, isn't it? Which you felt is something that surely yeah. been coming since like the first ever episode. Because we've never this is the yeah, first well, ever I, I, time you've had a character as the lead who's not the captain in Star Trek. Well, yeah, I do like how we get a captain a season. It's like Lorca for one, Pike for two, Saru for three, and now Burnham for four. Like this is pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, and then Prime Lorca for five. <laughs> I just think it's like you know Saru's biggest problem has not come out of a way to say engage wasn't it so that was one of my oh, favourite yeah. bits with him and Tilly running through like the proposed lines that they're going to have so far we have narrowed it down to to execute hit it and manifest manifest it, nobody likes that one yeah so we do get the final one we arrived at which is let's fly and I like it yeah I like it and I think it mm-hmm. makes sense for Burnham at least at least for a season, you know, even if they change it up again, I think at some point she needed to be captain. What do you make of those new uniforms? The very grey uniforms. Is it a bit um, motion picture I'm a fan. Oh, I'm in. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't really remember them. I didn't even notice they changed. <laughs> yeah, it's the new, the new future uniforms that um, all, all the all the future Starfleet people are wearing, like the guy from The Mummy and all, all that kind of stuff. The grey... I'm not too sure about the. They're, they're very grey. Give it motion picture. The closer we get to that, the better. Like <laughs> be very good. I think it should be 13 hours with no breaks. <laughs> Premiere episode of season four is just a 40 minute docking sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Get them in the PJs. Definitely. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I suppose Book's Cat was your favourite new character, Liam. Yeah, Grudge. Okay. I personally thought that Grudge should have become captain at the end. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought, I, when they said, like, you know, they went to Michael, I was like, Michael? She's, like, insubordinate and everything like that. What about <laughs> Grudge over here? Like, you know, she's a queen. I agree with Book. Yeah. Um, get the fatty catty as the, uh, as the lead of the show, yeah. I think. Amazing cat acting. And, uh, you know, I love just whenever she was just around... <laughs> Like just sitting on the uh, control desk and very like that. Very. I, I mean, I I personally think there should have been more time spent with Grudge and you know. Uh, yeah, two parts. Yeah, like, I, mean, uh, I talk about mirror, mirror, mirror cat, like like evil, evil cat. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly. Wasn't there a mirror universe Grudge? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I talk about being annoyed about all these new characters being brought in, but I mean, if they just brought in Grudge and made her the main character, I would have been fine with it. Scratch trick. <laughs> <laughs> So, shall we uh, get final thoughts on this season from each absolutely. of us? Paul, do you Let's want do to it. go first? We are here. We've arrived. For me, my favourite season yet of Discovery. You know, you've got to this point, you're a lot more at ease with the characters. I just, I really enjoyed the introductions of uh, Adira. Just interesting, like, additions to the cast. I love Book as well. I kind of bought into their romance, like, with, with Michael. I wanted them to sort of get together. I think having the cat in there just adds a little bit of, like, levity to the situation a bit of comic relief and and a big bad that i was you know genuinely impressed by i thought she had yeah, a great presence sad to see that she's presumed dead at the end of the show and whilst the, the, the season did not go the direction i wanted i wasn't disappointed too much in the way it did go i think because the last three episodes were so strong in terms of the 
excitement factor. I think it kind of did bring it home quite nicely. I think they make you forgive a lot, actually, how good the last three were. You kind of forgive the odd fella and, and that dreadful two-parter in the Mirror Universe because it came home so strong. And, uh, yeah, I love Doc Jones. Always, like, he was terrific in the show. Had some great stand-up moments. So, yeah, I think overall Discovery's strongest season is still... We've talked about a lot of the things that kind of annoyed us at, throughout this discussion, and I think, you know, this is a show that continues to have flaws. For me, that biggest plot of, like, there is just a missing element which had really sold it more and would pay off so much that it was set up earlier on, which was to have a traitor on Discovery. We've talked about the Georgia element. It's going to be probably the, the, the most annoying road not taken for me for this season. And if Michelle Yeoh was to leave, it's a shame it went in the mirror universe because it was just a, a complete waste. I've got to say, I'm really heartened, Paul, to hear that this is your favourite season and that you were on board and enjoyed it because I know that sometimes you struggled with with discovering. It's, it's really it's really good to hear that you enjoyed it so much, uh, despite kind of you know that it's still having flaws like I, like I think every Star Trek show does have. For me, I've got to be honest. Unfortunately, uh, it's actually the flip reverse for me, where for me it was my weakest season. Yeah, however, I still liked it overall. I think I think I do just I, I like this show. It's, it's not like um, it certainly didn't go off a cliff for me or anything like that. Like um, it has for some people. I like these characters uh, now. I'm definitely in emotionally, which is always a big thing for me. Like I care about the characters, and you know, I I always think Discovery is at the very least very entertaining. You know, it's, it, it looks incredible and like, you know, there's there's always some fun action to be had and stuff like that. And I am I am engaged uh, with it. I think with this season, my issue was is I kind of thought it started so strong with those first couple of episodes. And I think that I got out of my pram thinking that I was going to get a different show and a different season to what I got. And we've kind of talked a lot about all all these kind of different things that, you know, that we would have done if we were running the show. And I think it's one of those cases where all the things I had in my head were kind of better than what I actually got. And because of that untapped potential, I end up getting slightly frustrated with the season. Unfortunately, I've got to say, Osira didn't work for me in the same way i kind of thought she just came off as just a bit of a thug i was like i didn't really think there was anything particularly special about her for, for me the kind of special thing about her what i kind of would have liked is if there had been no starfleet and everything like that and people like her and um her kind of main henchman had been allowed to just kind of take over because you know actually i didn't think she was a particularly formidable villain, but just by her very nature, she had access to kind of, you know, advanced technology in comparison to Discovery. She had this great advantage. And if there had been no Starfleet to back them up, that would have been even kind of scarier. Yeah, I, I, whenever I was watching, I was thinking, oh, you know, uh, I think this could have been, the stakes could have been so much higher here. And yeah, I still had fun, still enjoyed it. There's not kind of many episodes I could point to where I'd go, oh, this is really bad or anything like that, even though there are some filler episodes here and there. I like that Michael finally became captain. I kind of think that it was kind of a long time coming. But by the time it got to the ending, the big action finale, although it 
it's always kind of impressive, the spectacle on screen. It didn't mean a massive amount to me. As much as in the season two finale, I remember that there was a lot of criticism, and we had that criticism, of just a ton of ships in space shooting at each other. There was also the more personal battles between Michelle Yeoh and Control, and I remember finding them more intense and engaging than the kind of the fights that are going down here. Yeah, still enjoyed it. Uh, still looking forward to season four and seeing where it goes. I just felt that there was a potential to take Star Trek to a place that it's never been before, and I don't quite think they managed to do that. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of you guys' thoughts, of course. I mean, I probably fall somewhere in the middle in terms of where the season stands for me because I really do enjoy 2. And, you know, as much as 2 did immediately kind of lean back onto nostalgia in many ways, bringing in Pike and Spock, I think I think because those two were so well cast and there was such a great shot in the arm in terms of new cast members coming in. But you're right, like, every time, no matter how good or bad the season is, every time it gets to the end, I'm always raring for more. And I think that says something to any show. And whether it's the sense of every season's a bit of a reset or not uh, remains to be seen. But I'm always excited as to where it's going to go. And yeah, this kind of had a thing where all the flaws it has had before, it doesn't really do much to overcome. And I don't know whether it's a case of they're just not trying as much now and they're just, you know, relentlessly blazing this trail forward, which can result in either good or bad. Or if they just, you know, don't recognize them as, as much as we do or aren't as bothered by. But, um... You know, I do think it does have really great energy and pace to it, as with the other series. I think it does, you know, it does balance the kind of season story arc with not necessarily like story of the week, but, you know, individual moments and episodes that add up to everything. Like the way we could pass out a couple of individual episodes here, the first two at the start being being mirror images of each other, and then you've got, you know, specific two-parters and then this big three-part finale. Like there's chunks of it where you can take it apart and have some fun with it. And yeah, big action, action-heavy finale, of course. And I think, you know, they do tend to, to lean into that. And it, it works in some ways, and it's always a culmination of sorts of, of the story. And it, you know, and it adds to the movie-like feeling where if you look at the season as one big Star Trek film, this is kind of naturally where everything would kick off in a climax. And, and yeah, at times it's hard to stay connected and invested to everything going on. You know, the fact that you have the entire rest of the crew stuck in their own sort of subplot in the, in the finale episodes of them going rogue throughout the ship and sort of, you know, breaking free and grabbing the guns and running around. And it's like suddenly, oh, now these characters are actually kind of working together and doing stuff. And there was a lot going on, a lot in there. But I am definitely intrigued for season four. Um, I think Michael will be a good captain. And I am glad that as a lead character, it has taken time to get her to that station. Like, I think if, if as we've said, if the main character was a, a captain from the start, it would lean you know, borrow quite a bit from the other series, I think. And getting to see her have this journey has been really cool. And, of course, it was good to see our old pal Ronnie Rao Jr. get a proper fight scene um, in one of the finale episodes as well. Yeah. Uh, that was really, really cool. I mean, come on. Justice for Bryce. Like, in season four, don't introduce another new character. Just give more lines to Ronnie. Uh, he's great. We know anyone who's seen Black Cop, the great indie movie which he's the lead of, knows you know how good he can be, and I, I think they're missing a trick uh, by not giving him more material. Yeah. If anyone wants to hear more from Comms Officer Bryce, uh, you can hear in our interview with Ronnie Rao Jr. that we did um, a couple of years ago. 
uh, on our podcast feed. Definitely track that down. He's a, he's a great dude, and uh, I'm glad at least he's still he's still very much in there as one of one of the crew and kind of you know getting some getting a lot of close up shots this season. So he's he's doing what he's getting <laughs> in there more and more. But yeah, that's no, great stuff, guys. Amazing. So let us know what you thought of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. I know there's a, a lot of opinions out there on this season. I think it, you know, it was a kind of debated, controversial season. So definitely get in touch um, at our social medias on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at Spotlight Pod on all of those and if you've got more to say you can always email us at spocklightpod at gmail.com um, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever your kind of favourite podcast platform is uh, we're always uh, happy to hear from you but only happy to hear from you of course if you give us five <laughs> stars if not be gone with you so next time we will be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 But until then, let's fly.